Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and the man behind the glass is the captain. And we would like to point out that your fantasy football team is not as good as you think. Well, guess what my team's name is? I beefed one. <laughs> no, it's Eat My Ass. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your cousin. Today we are sipping on Blackback Honey Rye by the hardworking crew at Silverback Distillery. This is rye whiskey infused with real honey liqueur. Pour it over some ice and it's smooth sipping here today in the garage, my friends. Garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. And this week's drinking was brought to us by these good friends right here. First up, we have a big cheers, mates, to David Kay and Elizabeth Town. He says he left his other true crime podcast for the garage and has not looked back. And a big we like your gyp to Julian in Sulphur, Louisiana. Next, we have a friend and longtime listener, Alex, in the land of the midnight sun in Fairbanks, Alaska. Cheers to you, Alex. Mm-hmm. And a big shout out to Elizabeth in Wichita, Kansas. And we have Jennifer in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and also in big, beautiful Canada, we have Sherry McGeo and the whole family listening in Newcastle, Ontario, Canada. Guess what, Canada? The Garage loves you so much. We are doing a Canadian Garage Tour in 2020. So thank you to everyone who helped with this week's beer fund. And if you would like to help us raise enough money to actually follow through on that Canadian tour, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. I am very excited to announce that we have some new merchandise in the store. We have a beer glass set. We have a hat. We have bottle openers. We have koozies. We have everything for your fall tailgating needs. Check out truecrimegarage.com and also download 
the Stitcher app for all of our old episodes and check our bonus episode out weekly on Stitcher Premium called Off the Record. All right, Captain, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. We discussed three murders yesterday, and unfortunately, there will be more. Today, we start off with Neural Renfro, who was a 50-year-old millionaire. His business, Gold Coast Realty and Investment, was booming. Renfro was not out. In fact, none of his friends had any idea that he was gay. Mm -hmm. He apparently liked to hang out in the company of young men, entertaining them at his home or at his mountain cabin. On December 19, 1982, Renfro was hosting 18-year-old John Oren Biggs, who answered an ad placed by Renfro for a live-in caretaker for his house. This was a house in a modest but nice neighborhood of Bakersfield, but this house was noted for its fortress-like bars on the windows, and neighbors said that the shades were always drawn. Anyway, Renfro and Biggs were playing pool, and Renfro made a pass at Biggs. Biggs said he let it go, but when it happened again a few minutes later, Biggs grabbed a fire poker and bludgeoned Renfro 40 times over the head. Biggs was then rifling through the house looking for cash, and then he stole Renfro's car and went and picked up a friend. This is 18-year-old William Blakenship. The two returned to the house and stole a safe, but were later very disappointed when they found the safe contained nothing of value. Biggs was arrested and charged with Renfro's murder. His defense was a variation of the, quote, gay panic defense. They alleged that Renfro was a pervert, and Biggs' attack on him was prompted by Renfro's advances. It turns out, And it appears that Neural Renfro had a history. He, on at least three prior occasions, lured young men to his house using the ad for employment, made advances, and then actually raped one of these men. His house was found to be missing interior doorknobs. The doors required a deadbolt key to open them, so one could not always leave of their own free will once inside. It's kind of like the Bundy method that that he used in his car, but inside his house. Renfro, it appears, may have been a violent sexual predator. Biggs was ultimately convicted for killing him, but only for voluntary manslaughter. And he served only three and a half years, even though he had a rap sheet going back eight years. This is going back till when he was about 11 years old. He didn't get a double charge for manslaughter plus, you know, robbery. My notes only state that he was convicted of voluntary manslaughter. They might not have pressed charges if they stole a safe and there was nothing in it, though. So that's a possibility. 
Well, his rap sheet, going back to when he was 11, this included things like assault and battery, shooting at police, extortion, robbery, and burglary. Wow. So this is viewed as basically a slap on the wrist, and it did outrage many people at the time, particularly gay rights activists who believed that Biggs got off easy because simply because Renfro was gay. The, yeah. But see, here's here's the issue again. We have we have a case where somebody ends up murdered and then we have robbery and some other things that went down during the commission of that murder. We have allegations that are brought forward against the man who is is now dead and unable to defend, defend those okay. allegations. It's this is a whole big messy story. And around that same time, we have William Tyak. He threatened, shot, and killed two gay neighbors after some kind of confrontation. And it appears he did so simply because they were gay. Right. It's a hate crime, yeah. Yeah. So this has a similar outcome. Tyak was convicted of only involuntary manslaughter of one of the men, despite having threatened to kill them and then bragging about it afterwards. One writer said of the result, quote, this case would reinforce a national impression of Bakersfield and Kern County being a place where violence against gays is tolerated, end quote. In the wake of these verdicts, the state attorney general was convinced to take a look at whether homosexual victims of violent crime were being shortchanged in Kern County. Well, they were a long, they were for a long time in, in history, 60s, 70s, 80s. It seemed that there was a contradictory history in the Kern County justice system. Some killers of gay men got light sentences, despite the law and order approach Kern County prided itself on, mm-hmm. while some well-connected, powerful gay men escaped scrutiny or got off easy despite having sex with minors. It's really a situation where you see all this going on and you have to, I mean, you can only throw your hands up in the air and go, what is going on here? Right. What truly is going on here? Then we have attorney general, John Vandekamp. He established a commission on racial, ethnic, religious, and minority violence. Los Angeles attorney Thomas Coleman headed up the investigation of the Biggs in the Tyak trials in which the defendants received light sentences, allegedly because of the homosexuality of the victims. Coleman said, quote, what you're talking about is corruption, whether the victim is gay or not. The presence of sexual orientation as a factor has in the past, at least given the appearance of unequal treatment end quote after studying the situation he established a campaign against hate violence and encouraged stiffer penalties for cases involving violence against certain groups including gays it was a start but it did not address the systemic problem embodied by the lords of bakersfield yeah and this is going to heat up too because one of the activists and one of the people leading this charge for stiff stiffer penalties uh, is actually going to be murdered. Marshall Jacobson was a 48-year-old millionaire real estate and criminal defense attorney in Bakersfield, and he spoke in front of the Kern County Crime Commission urging these harsher sentences 
for criminals who perpetrated violent crimes against homosexuals. Jacobson himself was gay and known to frequent the Bakersfield Greyhound bus station. Apparently, this was a popular meeting spot for men and where Ed Buck had also been known to frequent. Bakersfield police knew about Jacobson and had looked into allegations of sexual misconduct made by an underage boy, but charges were never filed. Then at the bus station, he met Randy Ray Backen, who was 19 years old, and this man went on to live with him for eight months. Jacobson provided food, lodging, and a job, including tuition for school, but required sex in return. Yeah, he's a sugar daddy. Beckin wasn't gay, and he said later that he was disgusted by the relationship, but he needed a roof over his head. He resented Jacobson, and he broke the house rules. In fact, he skipped school two days in a row. When this happened, Jacobson kicked him out, and Beckin left the house. He returned a week later, demanding entry into the home and even climbing over the back fence. Mm -hmm. Then he went inside the unlocked sliding doors. Once inside, he stabbed Jacobson in the stomach 10 or 11 times, and then he proceeded to rob the house. He drove Jacobson's car full of stolen goods all the way to Los Angeles, and he sold the car. Then he tried to escape to Mexico, but... He was turned in by a friend of Jacobson's who he had called for help. Here, the lenient sentencing ran out. Backen got life without the possibility of parole. But again, it was a case of an older man surrounding himself with young men and one who ended up killing him. And yeah, this is going to bring us to the year of 1998. So depending on who you talk to, a number of years passed before any more murders occurred that seemed to have anything to do with the pattern surrounding possible members of the Lords of Bakersfield. As you said, Captain, 1998, we have Sid Sheffield, who was a prominent education and health activist in town. He was found stabbed to death in his mobile home. The murder weapon was a knife, and he was robbed. Police discovered that he was leading a secret life one that did not go with his public image at the time. He was promiscuous, very social, and was said to have no enemies, and possibly was last seen with a young man in a cowboy hat at a local bar. This case, to this day, remains unsolved, and to be perfectly fair and transparent, no one is really sure whether it has a connection to the Lords of Bakersfield or not, but it's often brought up during those discussions. Yeah, it's a similar situation. This is, again, we have a tough time figuring out what cases to include and what not to include. And again, who, depending on who you talk to, that can change drastically. So let's go to 2002, because this is where things really, really start to, to fall apart. Okay. We have 57-year-old Bakersfield Assistant District Attorney mm -hmm. Stephen Towser. He had a public image of the caring do-gooder, the public servant, a good Samaritan, who took a drug-addicted youth under his wing. This kid was Lance Hillis. 
who knew Stephen since Lance was five years old. His father, Chris, worked for Stephen Towser as a district attorney investigator after he spent several years in the Bakersfield Police Department. Towser was gay. It was considered an open secret. And he seems to have fixated on this young man. Lance, who was under the age of 18 when Towser started grooming him, got involved with meth at the age of 16 and was not welcome at his home, at his parents' home, because he was doing drugs. Talzer took advantage of this situation and offered Lance a safe haven, a place where he could stay. At first, Lance stayed at Talzer's home for several months, <laughs> but he told a friend he wasn't comfortable there, and he was there just for the food and for the clothes and for a place to sleep. Now, he would leave, but he would always end up going back to Talzer's home. This mostly when money ran out for the drugs that he bought. Yeah, it seemed like it was one of his only options. Once in a while, when he left, he would take one of Talzer's cars, to which Stephen Talzer would call the police, but would never end up pressing charges for a stolen vehicle. The police knew that Talzer was spending a lot of time with this young man. When Lance finally got his own apartment, Talzer co-signed the lease, and eh, it doesn't seem like anybody's really sure how Lance was actually paying the monthly rent, but you don't have to use much of an imagination well, to come up with an idea. So speculation, of course, was Talzer was paying, and he was a regular visitor to Lance's home. Talzer continued to supply Lance with food, credit cards, lodging, a car, and a friendship, such as it was. Yeah, he was providing him with a little F and S. Well, Lance continued into a downward drug spiral. He was stealing, he was crashing cars, and he was injecting drugs into his veins. Mm. His family was extremely anxious, among other feelings, for him to kick this drug habit. They actually wanted him sent to jail. They thought that this would be truly the only way to break the cycle of addiction that really had had a hold on this guy, right? So Talzer used his assistant district attorney influence to get Lance off anytime he was charged with stuff. <sighs> So Lance would just be facing rehab rather than facing jail time. Ron, this is, I mean, it's not that far of a stretch to look at this situation and go like, but this is like sexual trafficking in a sense, you know, mm -hmm. by, by enabling this person or possibly giving them the money for drugs. Maybe you're not injecting it for them but you're basically creating the situation now that you have an addict that they're dependent on you uh, for drugs or dependent on you for financial situations. And then you're they're You're using them for sex. I mean, that's sex trafficking. Well, it's also believed that not only was Lance being sent to rehab because of Talzer rather than jail, but it's also believed that like anytime, there was a chance that Lance was going to encounter a tough judge in one of these charges that he would conveniently have the case moved to a different court. 
So again, he could just get rehab. So this happened repeatedly to the incredible frustration of Lance's family. Whenever Lance was in rehab, Talzer was a regular visitor. Even when Lance assaulted a worker at one of the rehab facilities, Talzer had the incident buried. Chris Hillis knew Talzer for years, both in his role on the Bakersfield Police Department and at the DA's office, and because he had done extensive renovation work at Stephen Talzer's home. He was getting desperate to save his son Lance. He had Lance arrested in an attempt to save him from his meth and heroin addictions. Already a man with a temper who had been written up for the use of excessive force five times as a police officer, he lost it when he was confronted with the reality that Stephen Talzer's relationship with his son was far from that of a mentor relationship, but was really a sex for drugs and money arrangement. The Hillis family realized that Talzer had preyed upon their teenage son's desperation for drugs and abused him. Chris Hillis confronted Talzer in August 2000 and demanded to know what the obsession was with his son. This ended in a violent confrontation, which we have Chris who ends up hitting Talzer and then calling the sheriff's department. When the responding officers arrive, he's telling them that Talzer was inappropriately involved with his son, Lance. The sheriff's department refused to file a report rallying around the district attorney, the assistant district attorney. Tauzer ended up with a black eye and nothing else. When Lance continued to be arrested for drugs, and thanks to Tauzer's intervention to be sent to rehab instead of jail, right. the Hillis family truly felt that their hands were tied and that this man corrupted their son and there was little, if anything, that they could possibly do about it. Yeah, well, he, he corrupted their son, and now he's corrupting the system, which is consistently enabling their son. Yeah, and because their son is an adult, and when a lot of this is going down, it gets complicated for them to step in and try to get involved or you know, take the reins and, and really steer what's going on here. Now, Lance's grandfather did just that. He was a former Bakersfield police officer. His name's Don Hillis. He recommended to Lance's probation officer in January of 2001 that Lance should do six to nine months in jail just to get him cleaned up. Lance's brother, a probation officer for Kern County himself, agreed to this. And multiple probation officers continually recommended jail for Lance, but... Talzer continued to intervene, and once again, Lance avoided jail time. In July of 2002, Lance was enrolled in Progress House. This is a rehab facility in Sacramento. This time, Lance escaped from the rehab house. He stole a car, and he crashed into a truck. Unfortunately, he died instantly during this accident. This was on August 7, 2002. This ripped up his family. Overcome with grief and rage, Chris Hillis, Lance's father, murdered Stephen Talzer on September 13th. Talzer was found dead in his garage with a knife sticking out of his head. The Hillis family believed that if it were not for Stephen Talzer, 
then their son Lance would still be alive. Yeah, initially the father denied being involved. He eventually pleads guilty to the crime, and he is hit with 10 years uh, for involuntary manslaughter, right? For voluntary manslaughter. For voluntary manslaughter, and which is going to be a little bit different because the other charges, those guys were getting about three years. He's going to get 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris Hillis got out of prison in 2013. He runs a drug rehabilitation facility in Bakersfield called Lance's Haven. Now, the Talzer Hillis case brought to the forefront some of the old wounds dating back to the late 70s and early 80s, to the time when multiple murders of male predators occurred by the hands of younger victims. But now it was 2002, a different time. What was overlooked back then was recognized in 2002 as pedophilia, yeah, illegal sex with minors, and an old boy network of corruption and cronyism. That Talzer had continued to get away with using his considerable power and influence to control the life of this young man to do him favors with big strings attached was shocking and disturbing. And the fact that so many in positions of public service and influence looked the other way was horrifying. They didn't protect Lance Hillis. Instead, they handed him back over and over again to a predator. The case gave rise to the expose in the Californian that dredged up all the old Lords of Bakersfield tales. And people realized that much of those old legends were rooted in truth. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. 
I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. 
Head to factormeals.com slash true crime garage 50 and use code true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code true crime garage 50 at factormeals.com slash true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, cheers, everybody, and make sure you you don't be a douche canoe. Go to the store page and get, pick up a koozie or something. The hat, today. the hat is awesome. <laughs> there's there's actually several the hats. There's several awesome things. Pick up the hat. I'm sorry, I'm just lost in this whole story. I mean, I'm I'm mm-hmm. like swimming through the madness of what what this could be or what it completely is not. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Well, here's the difficult thing is what was happening wasn't recognized correctly on what was actually happening. Mm-hmm. And then, but but does that mean because of all these, um, basically you have the murder victim was actually victimizing somebody beforehand. Or accused of doing so. Right. And all those murder victims are um, of gay orientation, or is it pedophilia? Or pedophiles. And there's a big difference. And then on top of that, just because they're of power doesn't mean they're necessarily connected. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We're going to get to some some bigger things regarding this story here mm-hmm. in just a second, but. Really, truly, Captain, I feel like there's a hundred different angles that you could look at this story from, and I'm not certain that any of them are well, the correct angle to approach it from. There's a lot of angles that you don't want to look at this. That's true. So, but, th- the, but the major point of the story is to buy the hat. Yes. Yeah. Get the hat. Get the hat. <laughs> All right. Let's get into uh, one-time Bakersfield District Attorney Ed Jagels. Chris Willis says that he begged, those are his words, I begged Jagels in multiple phone calls to, and letters to take steps to rein in his second in command, which was Stephen Talzer. What you talking about, Willis? And get him away from his son, Lance Hillis. Mm-hmm. Jagels' response was that Lance is an adult, and in interviews when asked about the scandal that culminated in Talzer's murder. Jagels insisted that Talzer was like a godfather to Lance, who saw the young man as, quote, a project, and who only had Lance's best interest at heart. The district attorney for Kern County is a powerful position. Right, but he this guy also seems a little bit like a shitbag. So what he's stating... He's the prosecutor, right? It's a district His, attorney. They technically both can be prosecutors. Okay, so the district attorney, his second in control, is saying to him, hey, you did wrong here, right? And he's saying, no, I did not do anything wrong. That's where, in these situations, it makes you wonder, is it just because of the high power they're in, or is it the money? 
right? Is he protecting the person because of the high power or are they protecting the person from the money? But either way, it seems like this district attorney is a little bit of a shit bag. Again, it goes back to to all the different angles that you could look at this from to where you, you could also make the argument that what Ed Jagels is saying is the truth that Lance was an adult mm-hmm. and that, I mean, we don't know how much he may have known or what he did know and was turning a blind eye to. Right. The, the, the thing here is when this man retired after more than 25 years as a DA, Ed Jagels famously boasted that during his tenure, Kern County had the highest per capita prison commitment rate of any major California county. His mission was a law and order crime policy, sort of ironic since the lords of Bakersfield in many cases seem to be allowed to do their thing with virtually no legal consequences, and this did occur too under his watch. Right. Several of them should have been prosecuted for rape, statutory rape, and crimes against children. District Attorney Ed Jagels was in office since the early 80s, and it's the opinion of many that Jagels was complicit in helping brush the Lords of Bakersfield scandal completely under the rug. Mm-hmm. He may not have just been looking the other way. He, as you pointed out, may have actually helped to protect some of those people that should have been prosecuted. Jagels is best known for his campaign that he initiated in the 80s to root out child sex abuse. Right. So with all these rumors going on about the Lords of Bakerfields, instead of investigating this, they're going to go after the middle class. Well, lower middle class citizens. Okay. For so-called satanic ritual child sex abuse and molestation that this is so bizarre was not actually happening. So Jagels put 26 people. These were teachers and even parents in some situations behind bars on felony child sexual abuse charges. This all during the 1980s. This was during the period of a national child sex abuse panic where daycares and schools were accused of horrific abuses of kids this was sort of a satanic panic involving children. Mm-hmm. Now, under Jagels, 26 convictions were secured on what is arguably zero to little evidence. Of these 26 convictions, 25 were actually eventually overturned. Kern County has paid out over $9 million in wrongful conviction settlements. A 2008 documentary called Witch Hunt narrated by Sean Penn, details this story. I actually believe uh, Sean Penn was one of the producers on this as well. And to be clear, it wasn't that there was little to no evidence. What a lot of in these, a lot of these situations were happening was that they're rounding up these kids and basically getting them to just confess to anything, but not ever coming up with the story themselves. So they co- coerced all these uh, stories and all these allegations basically out of thin air. Right. They didn't bother to go find any evidence to back up these right. accusations or these stories by by children. And so what this leads to is all of these, well, 25 of the 26 convictions being overturned. 
And then in 1999, a Pulitzer Prize winning book entitled Mean Justice, A True Account of a Town's Terror, a Prosecutor's Power, and a Betrayal of Innocence, exposes Jagel's tactics, including presumption of guilt, manufacturing or embellishing evidence, persuasive interrogations, prosecutorial misconduct. Despite all of this, Jagels continued to be reelected and Bakersfield embraced its role as the poster city for the, quote, tough on crime movement. Its mock slogan was come for vacation and leave on probation. Well, it's better than their last slogan, um, come on vacation, but only if you have some money and you're of power. So what does all of this have to do with the Lords of Bakersfield legend? Well, what's being pointed out here and has been pointed out by many is that the lock up DA seems to have overlooked the activities of various businessmen, politicians, and social elite that were going on right under his nose. Mm-hmm. Many believe he was complicit in shoving the Dana Butler murder and the Glenn Fitz situation, his likely involvement in that murder, under the rug by refusing to prosecute. And investigative reports by Rolling Stone magazine stated that many Bakersfield residents concluded that Jagel's child abuse campaign was possibly intended to divert attention away from illicit sexual behavior of the city's ruling elite. Right. A former investigator for the DA's office under Jagels told the magazine, Rolling Stone magazine, that the 1980s molestation trials were simply Jagels allies among the lords of Bakersfield covering their tracks by going after other people. Now we should mention here that Robert Mistrell, the the man that we've mentioned a lot throughout this case, yeah, he actually named Jagels as one of the men who sexually abused him. I'm going to step in for a little bit and throw my own two cents in here on this this my 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 humble opinion, if you will. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, and. I, I talked to a friend about this who agreed. We were discussing this case, and it just it seems like Robert Mistrell, while I believe him on some level, it seems like he has just spewed out so many names over the course of all of this. It just doesn't seem plausible that they were all sexual abusers of children. At some point, it, it, at some point, you really got to question these allegations. Now, Ed Jagels retired from the DA's office in 2009, and he's never been prosecuted for all of the wrongful convictions he inflicted upon innocent people. Right, which is pathetic. So the legend of the Lords of Bakersfield, truly it's it's just a vague specter of predatory alliances and abuses of power. Mm-hmm. To me and to others, I, I got to say, man, it, it doesn't seem that there is real tangible, punishable uh, ring of abusive men. It seems more like this might be a wink-wink association and a look-the-other-way type of tolerance. 
Yeah, it's a difficult situation here because one, you know, he's naming what 150 possible predators. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the average predator. I'm, I don't know the exact number, but I know it's high 200s of rough, rough estimated victims a predator would have. So if you have 150 possible predators in that area, we'd probably see then 20,000 victims. And why aren't we having more of these victims come forward uh, and and present this? So I think, but then it's it's a sticky situation, no pun intended, with the Lords of Bakerfields because it, you wonder a couple things. One, is it these people in power that are using this sick fetish of pedophilia to control each other? And have one have something on top of each other, right? Have something over the other person to con- to be able to control them or blackmail them, or is it just they're protecting these predators because of wealth, or or their or their position of power? So it becomes, and I would lean to the latter too, than that it's some giant group with some giant conspiracy if that makes any sense at all. Well, no, I think it does. And, and it's only because because I've been, you know, wading in these weird waters for for a while now and really trying to come up with an answer myself and thinking that, you know what, the more I look at this case and the more that I dive into these different avenues that go off the main road of this case here, that I think that I'm going to find my answer. Unfortunately, I didn't. Like I said, there's also other cases that, that some consider to be connected to this. And I may not have gone down the right road off of off of the main road yet to find that. But in the end, my my general opinion is that, look, there was illegal activity going on. We can't deny that. We also can't deny that there were plenty of murders going on as well. Yeah. But there's also a situation where some people may just not have known everything that was going on or known what was at the root of a murder or at the root of of this whole mess and and therefore didn't take actions against any of that. You know, there is a certain there's one thing to turn a blind eye to something and there's another to just be blind to it and, and not know what is going on. And I think in this situation, I was really going to try to avoid giving my my personal opinion, but I, I think that I, I think I've walked down that path enough where I, I think I got to try to to give this some kind of conclusion. At oh, least, I was going to say we're good. We'll it, just stop here. Okay. <laughs> see, you right, see you next week. Buy the hat. Look, it's it's very difficult with so many characters, misdeeds, and variables to really figure out and state what was really going on in Bakersfield for all these years. Was there, in fact, an underground network hiding in the shadows and pulling strings? And were these murders, many of them still unsolved, connected to the legend of the Lords of Bakersfield? From where I sit after reviewing this whole mess, mm-hmm. I see a name that is repeated throughout this story and a general theme that seems to follow him. This is Robert Mistrell. By his own admission and others, he had a horrible childhood. 
He was selling himself at a young age, trading sexual favors to men for money, drugs, and anything else to get him by. And while, of course, I find the actions and behaviors of the men who chose to employ him as illegal, immoral, and frankly disgusting, it's very tricky for me to go as far to call those specific situations abuse. I understand he he is a, a child and not of legal age. But to me, it somewhat appears that Robert was able to end this sex for hire relationship at any time with these men. And in fact, did so when, with the help of another, brutally murdered and robbed one of these men and could be suspected in another case as well. Mm -hmm. So this story, obviously, just, I mean, it's just full, chock full of victims and a lot of predators. Robert just might fit into both of those categories. I'm not certain. As for Glenn Fitz, the second murder that we discuss, I have to wonder if he is the outlier in this story. Was this like a budding Dean Coral situation? Or is it as simple as once his wife passed and left him alone, we have a sick man that turned his home into a playground for teenagers filled with alcohol and they simply did not prosecute because they lacked the ability to do so, right? That there wasn't something to cover this up. They just didn't have the ability to prosecute him and therefore did not bring those charges forward. And had Fitz not died, be it suicide or be it murder, who's to say that they wouldn't have drug him into court at some point for Dana's murder eventually. I also want to state that the double homicide committed by William Tyak who planned, murdered, and then bragged about doing so just because two gay men were his neighbors, that today likely would be prosecuted as a hate crime. And it's very difficult to figure out if those crimes had nothing to do with the, quote, lords of Bakersfield, or if the lack of proper punishment in what should have been a death penalty case very likely does have something to do with it. You know what I mean? It's it's right. it's tough to figure out if the lords of Bakersfield are at work in some of these situations or if it's just someone else interfering with justice for unknown reasons. What I do think that we have is, in fact, a network of men who frequented the same locations in search of similar entertainment. They lived secret lives and desired the company of young men and or boys. Now, keep in mind something very simple that we have to remind ourselves when we start to look into conspiracies, conspiracy theories, and these pedophile rings, and all these people possibly in cahoots with one another. Anytime you have a person or persons committing illegal acts, you will have those same people covering it up, whether it's they're covering it up for themselves or if they're helping someone else. And that's where it gets very difficult to truly discern what is going on in this situation and in other situations that we look at is, in fact, there's no doubt that there's a cover-up. It's just to what extent is that cover-up? How many people were involved? Is it just one person? Is it a whole army of predators that are out there? It's There's no doubt to me that most of these men 
very likely knew each other. Again, they frequented the same locations. They were in search of similar things. You have to, you just really have to look at this when, when they all know that their behavior in a lot of cases is wrong and illegal. Yeah. And if we believe Mr. Robert Mistral, well, then they very likely formed a ring of corrupt abusers that protected one another. And if they did that, it's very hard to say what they would not have been capable of doing. Yeah, I I agree that that's a possibility. And again, you'd have to believe Robert on some of this stuff. But I think you'd have to back down the number of the accusations that he's probably making. Robert Mistrell was released from prison earlier this year after serving 35 years. He's now 52 years old. He's married and is hoping to start his life over again, this after getting his GED while he was incarcerated. Although he recognizes his complicity in the murder of Edwin Buck, he also recognizes that in many ways he was not fully at fault for the circumstances that led him to the murder. Well, I just want to be clear in these cases that these older gentlemen are using drugs, alcohol, money, all these briberies just because the child agreed to it, agreed to their arrangement does not mean it's anything less than child abuse and pedophilia. Agreed. Now, as far as the legend of the Lords of Bakersfield and the cases that we have discussed today, we have just simply an implication of a possible connection in my opinion. And what we have here is we have Robert Price, the journalist for the Californian who helped expose this sword underbelly of Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. He put it in a May 2019 article that the cases had the same ingredients, quote, a troubled and compromised young man, a persistent, much older male sponsor and homicide. Try the hat. Do we have any recommended reading for this week? We do. This week we are recommending American Predator by Maureen Callahan. American Predator, the hunt for the most meticulous serial killer of the 21st century. And some of you may have guessed it. This book is about Israel Keys. So you'll want to check that out. And you don't have to write that title down now. You can just go to our website. We have a recommended page there. You'll find a lot of other books and other recommendations for you on that page. TrueCrimeGarage.com Again, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for joining us in the garage every week. You're our garage buddies. And until next week. Be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. 
Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.